said I could change my ways Don't let me go, don't let me fade away I lost my soul, now I can't escape I lost myself somewhere along the way And welcome back to the Between the Lives podcast Where we deep dive into whatever wicked or warped subject we are covering at that given time I'm always thrilled to be taking on another topic, whether that be conspiracy or murder mystery, because I'm learning through the entire process the same way that somebody listening or watching my TikTok is learning through the process. So we're going through that part together. Sidebar mentioning TikTok, please follow the Between the Lies podcast on TikTok. That's Between the Lies podcast, no spaces, no numbers, all lowercase if that matters. I made a video about North Fox Island, which you'll remember from the first episode, that's close to 200,000 views, and because of that, I have over 1,000 followers, so I'm thankful for that, and I'll be doing TikTok Lives every so often, doing a live format podcast, as well as Q&A with the people tuning in. I just wanted to say thank you, everybody, for making that happen, because it truly grew at this crazy rate and is continuously growing, and I'm proud of that, to say the least. At the end of the day, the reason I'm in this is to find truth and nothing but the truth. So let's get to that. So today we'll actually be talking about the Madeline McCann case. This is a case that will forever be linked to the JonBenet Ramsey case as well because of certain similarities and the way that it captured viewers' hearts when these kidnappings occurred and were blown up on mainstream media. But we'll get to those actual connections later on because that's a whole different rabbit hole. The McCann family was made up of Kate and Jerry and their oldest daughter Madeline and her two younger siblings who are actually twins. The family was vacationing in Portugal when this crime occurred so the year was 2007 and the day was May 3rd. Unfortunately just a few days away from Madeline's fourth birthday which makes this all the more sad. I think it's important to point out that Madeline's two younger siblings the twins were also in the room while she was abducted and were completely undisturbed which I find completely peculiar but nonetheless so the family starts off the vacation enjoying the fresh air and sunshine they stayed at the ocean club resort in the algarve region and i certainly don't know for sure if i'm pronouncing that one right so just bear with me on a lot of pronunciations but a few days go by until on may 3rd 2007 tragedy strikes now kate and jerry have been going to dinners throughout the trip frequently leaving their children at home although they were still checking on them frequently it's still something most parents would scoff at. To make it even more worse is the fact that they were leaving the door unlocked for whatever reason, and I also read a couple different reports that said they left the door slightly ajar. So there's that. Now the group they were with during dinner also had children, so they had all devised a plan that somebody, one of the parents, would check on each of the children every 30 minutes, which might sound halfway decent if the doors were locked. But they weren't. So here's a full timeline of events from the day of May 3rd, culminating obviously in the kidnapping of Madeline McCann. I would like to outline the timeline of events, and I like to do this in general because it helps us determine a time window in which the crime occurred, and also point out inaccuracies in suspect statements, etc. So let's get to the timeline. So fast forward to May 3rd, 2007, like we talked about, we're going to start at 7.30 bright and early in the morning. So the McCanns are having breakfast when Madeline asks her parents why they had not been in the apartment the night before when she woke up and cried. Kate and Jerry then make a mental note as they were going to dinners and leaving their children alone in the apartment to constantly check their children are settled before they go out for their meal. 
After spending some time around the swimming pool, the children go to a kids club while Jerry and Kate have a tennis lesson. Now fast forward to 5 or 6 p.m., the family return to the apartment. Kate gets the children ready for bed while Jerry goes to play tennis again. He's living his best life. Then we got 7 p.m., Jerry returns and Madeline has read her bedtime story. The twins are put in a travel cot next to Madeline's bed and the children all fall asleep. The shutters outside the ground floor bedroom are down and the window is closed. Fast forward to 8.30 p.m., Kate and Jerry leave the apartment with their kids being asleep and head to the tapas restaurant to eat with seven other people. Now around 9.05, Jerry returns to the apartment, but he notices the position of the kids' bedroom door is different than how they left it. He walks into the room and sees all three of his children sound asleep. So he heads back to the restaurant but stops for a conversation with someone along the way. Now let me just stop everything right there. You mean to tell me you're checking on your kids in a country that's foreign to you, in a foreign country, Portugal, you're checking on your children, and you notice that their bedroom door is in a different position, and you also have heard from your oldest daughter earlier in the morning that she woke up crying the night before and you weren't there. And instead of, I don't know, maybe hanging around to make sure everything was all right or searching the apartment or making sure one of your children didn't wake up, instead what you do is make sure they're fine real quick, leave the apartment, and this is what struck me, have a conversation with somebody along the way. So maybe this just was a friendly conversation, but the urgency from the McCanns doesn't seem to be there in the case of protecting their children in this place that they really don't know what they're getting into. I mean, a lot of resorts in places like that are dangerous places because robbery suspects, they target these type of places. So the urgency for their children from the McCanns is not there. And I did notice that right away. So around 915, it's important to note that another parent in the group, Jane Tanner, walked past the McCanns apartment as she goes to check on her own children. She sees a man carrying a child and after Madeline disappears, he becomes the police's main suspect. And there is a sketch of him as well online if you wanted to look into that. Now, around 9.30, a friend at the dinner table offers to check up on the McCann's children as he checks on his own kids in the apartment next door. Matthew Oldfield returns and says everything's fine and quiet. 10 p.m. is where we get into troubled water. So Kate McCann finishes eating and goes back to the apartment. She notices that the children's bedroom door is quite open, but as she goes to close it slightly, a breeze slams it shut. She goes into the room, realizes Madeline is missing, and notices that the window is open and the shutters are up. The alarm is raised. So again, I just want to reiterate the fact that these parents left their children unattended in a room that was pretty far away from them. To me, at the very least, this is an arrestable offense. And I'm actually surprised the McCanns never actually faced charges in Portugal for child neglect or anything like that. This must be because the Portuguese police would end up eyeing them for a much bigger crime. Homicide. So quickly foul play was suspected. The McCanns would contact the Portuguese police department who arrived on the scene shortly after, causing quite the scene at the Ocean View Hotel. The police would make an assumption in the days following the kidnapping that made the McCanns the center of the entire case. Now the police a few days in would assume based on some investigating, we'll call it, that the window in which Madeline was taken out of could not have been opened from the outside. This made their theory pretty simple. The McCants had accidentally killed their daughter and opened the window and staged the kidnapping in an attempt to cover up their heinous crime. But there was someone else in the investigation that stood out, someone who seemed a little too eager to help 
and find out the direction of the investigation. His name was Robert Murat. Robert Murat was from the UK originally, but was living in his mother's house about 150 yards away from the scene of the initial kidnapping. Remember that witness who saw a man carrying a young child around 9.15? Whoever they saw, they were walking in the same direction as Robert Murat's mother's house. This coupled with Robert Murat's insistence on helping police with the investigation raised a lot of red flags early on. The McCanns would grow impatient with the Portuguese police investigation, so they sounded the alarms and contacted the UK media. This started a media frenzy that can only really be compared to the John Bonet Ramsey case. Just hearing that a search is underway for a three-year-old British girl who's gone missing in the Algarve area of Portugal, and she went missing last night. Hundreds of people have been searching for the girl, and that search continuing this morning. So we will try to get as much on that as for, for you as soon as we can, uh, that uh, missing girl in Lutz, and we will bring it to you as soon as we get further detail. Let's just bring you some more detail on the breaking news that we brought you a short while ago. A three-year-old British girl has gone missing while on a family holiday in Portugal. It's been uh, confirmed by the Foreign Office. Uh, some more detail on this for you now. The Portuguese police are investigating the disappearance from a holiday complex in Praia de Lutz in the western Algarve. I think we've got a map we can uh, show you there. The foreign office spokesman has said that he understood the girl's parents had gone to have dinner once their children were asleep last night, but returned to check on them only to find that the little girl had gone missing. And uh, they reported the little girl's uh, disappearance straight away and they are uh, being given consular assistance in Portugal. But uh, no word on to where this uh, little girl has gone and uh, uh, considerable efforts being made indeed to try to track down at uh, extraordinary difficult time for her parents but it would appear that she went missing um, after the parents had uh, gone to have supper went back to check that she was okay uh, check on the children were okay and the three-year-old had gone missing as soon as you have any further detail on that we'll bring it to you now that is a report from sky news a media outlet in the uk so these initial breaking news reports obviously sparked outrage because, again, the parents left their children alone to go have a dinner. But you do hear the Sky News representative running a little recon, it seems, for the McCanns. Maybe not purposely, but she seems to reiterate a few times that the parents were indeed still checking on the children during the dinner. I just wanted to make note of that because the UK's media is known to be very controlled and in this situation it did seem like they didn't want to shed too much of a negative light on the McCanns who were from the UK. Just found that to be an interesting tidbit but nonetheless. This combined with odd facts about the group of private investigators that the McCanns hired in the days after their daughter's disappearance. Some of them are people that specialize in helping companies not to get sued or to avoid liability. A handful of them were arrested for corruption in public office, and some of them even have direct ties to the MI5, which would be the UK's version of the CIA or FBI. Here's another connection to the John Bonet Ramsey case. The parents, at least based on the teams they surrounded themselves with, are largely on the defensive. It's just something worth noting for sure. Now we will get back to the timeline, but I wanted to point out a few odd things that I noticed when researching this case. Things about the stories of the McCanns and their friends that didn't really add up. First and foremost, I want to talk about the clothing that Madeline was supposedly wearing the night she was taken. A photo surfaced early in the investigation that seemed to be supplied by the McCanns themselves. People initially assumed that these photos were provided by police because they look like pictures police would take when they recover a body or find evidence in a case. But the McCanns would go on to reveal that they had taken the picture. 
The initial question that baffled me about the clothes was this. How was it that the McCann supplied this picture of the clothes that Madeline was supposedly taken in? How did they have access to the clothes considering that she had been kidnapped in them? They even presented the clothes at a press conference. Now they would later on go on to claim that they were identical pajamas that belonged to one of Madeline's younger siblings. This would explain how they were able to present them at a press conference. But there's something off about it, and I invite you guys to watch this press conference on your own. I'm just making an honest observation about the size of these clothes. When I'm watching the McCants present these articles of clothing, I'm seeing pajamas that would more easily fit a 4-year-old than a 2-year-old baby. So let's play devil's advocate and pretend the articles of clothing do in fact belong to Madeline. This would either mean she was never taken or the McCants were flat out lying about the outfit she was wearing when she disappeared. Something about it just really rubbed me the wrong way. Now I have personally gone through hours of interviews and statements from the McCants. I will say they do seem to convey genuine emotion about their daughter most times. But there was one part of an interview that really struck me as odd. Now Jerry McCann is asked flat out if he and his wife are responsible for the disappearance and murder of his daughter. And this was his reply. Did you kill your daughter? No, no, never. And, you know, there's nothing with any logic that could, you know, you would have to start with why, you know, how, when, who, and there's just simply, you know, the answer to any of these things is there's nothing to suggest anything. So, no, that's an emphatic no. So, wow, I am very taken back by that response. And what I mean by that is I don't think that it's an appropriate response. This took me back again to the JonBenet Ramsey case. When JonBenet's parents were pressed about the idea of them killing their daughter, they also backpedaled and asked, why would we do that or how would we do that? Instead of Jerry McCann emphatically saying, no, I did not kill my daughter, let's find who did, or no, we would never have anything to do with something hurting our daughter, he backtracks and backpedals and seems nervous as he does it. He even smiles while he's talking at a point. Instead of just saying no, he says, you would have to wonder, why would I do it? Or is there any evidence suggesting that I did it? I just found that very peculiar. So a few days went by and there was still no true answer to the question on everyone's minds. What exactly had happened to four-year-old Madeline McCann? The McCanns, to their credit, were out in front of the public eye quite a bit, pleading for the kidnappers to return their daughter safe and unharmed. On May 6, 2007, Portuguese police would state that there was evidence Madeline had been taken through that window. This was a full three days after the apparent kidnapping. Again, I just want to reiterate that the Portuguese police initially believed that the window could not be opened from the outside, so a kidnapping was not feasible to them at that time. Now, anyone who's heard of the First 48 TV show would know that the first 48 hours of any investigation are the most crucial in terms of solving the case. This would mean that the Portuguese police were looking in the wrong direction for not only 48 hours, but 72 long hours. Now it would later be proven that the window was easily accessible from the outside as well as the inside. So three days later the Portuguese police throw their arms up and basically say, oops, we were wrong. This case seemed doomed from the very start. A few more days would go by and the case was getting bigger than anyone could ever imagine being printed on almost every paper and every major news station across the world. 
On May 11th, soccer star David Beckham would gather some of his teammates and issue a public plea for the safe return of Madeline McCann. That really gives you an idea of how big this case was getting at that time. Police in Portugal began to scale down their searches at this time, stating, This has become an international investigation. It's another similarity to the John Bonet Ramsey case. I wonder why the Portuguese police didn't let this become an international case from the moment these services were available to them. They surely had to have been offered additional help in the case sooner than May 11th. I mean, you might as well be taking the help that's being offered to you. Another ball dropped in this case, which has hindered the investigation to this very day. Speaking of hindering a case and investigation, let's talk more about Robert Murat. You'll remember he was the interpreter who arrived on scene the morning after Maddie was taken to supposedly help the McCanns and the police. He technically was named the first suspect in the entire investigation. Remember that his mother's house was not far at all from the apartment where Maddie had been taken from. In a statement to Portuguese police, he would state that at 10.30 p.m. or so, him and his mother did hear sirens from their residence. He states that he had commented on the sirens to his mother, but other than that, did not walk out of the house to investigate. At this time, his phone records show him placing multiple phone calls, one being to his wife and one to a close friend. But there's something odd about that. Remember, he only lived about 150 yards from the ocean view. Once Maddie was reported missing, the entire complex was reportedly involved in the search for her. This would mean people were scouring the area and reportedly were screaming out Madeline's name. How is it that his statement distances himself from having any knowledge of what was going on at all? He would have had to seen and heard the ongoing commotion, at least somewhat. He seems to be misleading investigators regarding his knowledge of the situation at this particular time. Now, according to his statement, he claims to have no knowledge about what was going on until the following morning. The facts simply do not support this statement. Robert Murat was well known in this town, as his mother was on the local residence committee and Robert was a local well-known businessman. So let's play devil's advocate again. If he was misleading investigators, what purpose would that serve him unless he was somehow involved in this crime, even in the smallest capacity? Is it somehow possible that he was so eager to be involved in this case because he was somehow involved in the abduction? Many investigators and reporters have also hypothesized that Murat knew the McCanns, although I couldn't actually confirm this. Was Murat somehow there just to interfere with the investigation? It is true that Murat was formally named an interpreter for many of the early communications with witnesses and workers at the Ocean Club and the Portuguese police. Here's a list of some odd behavior Murat displayed while performing his oddly appointed duties as the official interpreter of the Portuguese police. 1. Kept asking insistently about the identity of possible suspects. 2. Kept on asking about the strategy of the investigation. 3. Kept asking what work was going to be done in what capacity. 4. Kept trying to steal a look at confidential documents. 5. Had detailed knowledge of the Ocean Club Garden. 6. Had detailed knowledge of the McCanns and their friends' movements. 7. Actively tried to influence the conduct of the investigation. And finally, eight suggested that foreigners were definitely responsible for the abduction. So based off of this list alone and various other reports coming out around May of 2007, we can reasonably conclude that Robert Murat was hindering this investigation in one way or another. Anyone who is not official police and is now somehow acting as the interpreter raises some red flags for me. 
First off, acting as an interpreter, you can easily switch words and phrases around to confuse the direction of an investigation. Then there's the question of how exactly was he named the official interpreter in the first place? Although I have not been able to confirm this, there are varying reports that claim Robert Murat may have worked with the MI5, which again is like the CIA or FBI of the UK. Like I pointed out earlier, the McCanns surrounded themselves with a private investigation team. Some of these men were directly linked with the MI5, so it's not completely out of the question that Robert Murat could have been some type of secret or double agent. Is it possible that he was tasked with assisting the McCanns in some type of gigantic cover-up? God only knows, but the red flags sure do seem to be adding up. Now, I do want to point out there have been various supposed Madeleine McCann sightings in the time that's passed since the initial abduction. One that I wanted to focus on was on May 4th, late in the evening. Now, a man named Antonio Castella, a taxi driver, picked up three men, one woman, and a girl resembling Madeline from Monte Gordo to drop them off at the Hotel Apollo. They drove away later in a blue jeep, he says. He does state that he reported this to the Portuguese police, but was never contacted again. Now, you'll remember from earlier, it took the Portuguese police 72 long hours to realize that an abduction was an actual possibility. So this means on the night of May 4th, this reported sighting from a local was taken with a grain of salt. I wonder now if this was actually Madeline. Is it possible the police ignored a vital lead early on? It's crazy to think they may have ignored something that led to finding this young girl. Just another ball dropped in the long list of miscues and missteps from the Portuguese Police Department. Now, I want to fast forward to August of 2007. This was three long months after Madeline's abduction. UK cadaver dogs were enlisted to sniff around the apartment where Madeline initially went missing. They did alert multiple times in the apartment, including the most famous alert being in the closet the McCanns had used during their trip. Now, some people concluded that this 100% meant the McCanns had murdered their daughter and proceeded to try and cover up their heinous crime, but there are many inconsistencies throughout the cadaver dog theory. First off, it is mind-boggling that it took three months for cadaver dogs to be brought in. During those three months since the abduction, people had been able to rent out the same room from which he went missing. Does that make any sense to anyone? Why wait three long months? Secondly, cadaver dogs are highly disputed in the crime community. There have been studies that show that cadaver dogs are eager to please their owners. Dogs have a general sense of what their owner wants in certain situations. It has been proven that the dogs will react if they happen to sense their owner leaning towards a certain reaction. Let's call it confirmation bias. Lastly, there is no way to prove that the cadaver dogs actually alerted on the blood of Madeline McCann. They are trained to alert on blood and decomposition, but cannot narrow it down to only one person. That's just how it is. Therefore, them alerting in the apartment only means that blood may be present or was present at some point in the room. This could mean that someone pricked their finger the morning before the dogs were brought in. The dogs also were brought to a garage filled with about 10 or more cars, one of them being the McCann's rental car. Ironically, the only car they alerted on was the McCann's, but there's something odd about this. The McCann's had rented that car 24 days after the abduction of their daughter. This would mean that 24 days after her initial disappearance, they were still hiding her body. This simply would not make sense considering the media was tracking their every move. 
It really just isn't plausible and has been highly disputed since the evidence has come to light. In my personal opinion, cadaver and police dogs are really not to be trusted and are generally dismissed as not proper or thorough evidence in the crime community. I just wanted to speak on that because a lot of people seem to think that the dogs alerting was some type of final nail in the coffin for the McCanns. As much as in my opinion I think they may have been involved, this was certainly not confirmation of that. Now, in the past few months, a new suspect has quickly emerged. This has been reported all over national news all over the world, and his name is Christian Bruckner. He is a convicted pedophile from Germany who happened to be in Portugal at the time of the abduction, but wait, it gets worse. He reportedly worked as a cleaner for the Ocean View, as well as digital evidence apparently shows his cell phone in the same range of where the abduction took place. Not to mention his yellow van apparently being spotted the night she disappeared. Now, I am pretty weary of the Christian Bruckner theory for one main reason. Where was all this evidence in 2007? How is it that all of a sudden the evidence has been stacked up in terms of it all coming out almost 20 years later? Let's talk about a theory that I believe holds the most weight in this case. Not only that, but this theory has been all over TikTok for some time now, which makes the police pulling Christian Bruckner out of thin air all the more troubling. Sometime in the beginning of the case, three sketches were released as showing three people of interest in the abduction of Madeline McCann. I invite you guys to look into these sketches on your own, but these three sketches very closely resemble Ghislaine Maxwell and Tony and John Podesta. Now, obviously, Ghislaine Maxwell has been linked to Epstein Island, as well as the Podesta brothers have been linked to Epstein Island. This combined with the theory that circulated a few years back called Pizzagate. Now, while this connection was largely dismissed as some type of crazy conspiracy theory, I have personally looked into Pizzagate and thoroughly investigated each piece of evidence. In my humble opinion, I do believe the Podesta brothers share an affinity for younger children. Just Google search the art that the Podesta brothers have hanging up in their houses for further confirmation. These guys are certified creeps. You might say that just because a sketch looks like someone does not mean they're guilty. But what about the fact that the Podesta brothers were staying only a third of a mile from the ocean view at the time of the abduction? There is also a video circulating online of what looks like Ghislaine Maxwell walking with Madeline McCann somewhere in Portugal only days after her disappearance. Now, you would have to imagine that these theories and leads have been explored by police, but through watching hours of documentaries and reports all week about the Madeline McCann case, I haven't seen one major news network even mention the sketches. Now, this theory began circulating on TikTok in the last few months, and that's when Christian Bruckner would emerge as a new suspect. Police from Portugal, as well as Germany and the UK, are ready to throw the book at him with a substantial amount of evidence linking him to the case. It is worth noting that he is a convicted pedophile, but that doesn't make him guilty in the Madeleine McCann case. That just makes him an absolute scumbag. Now, getting back to the connection with the John Bonet Ramsey case, I couldn't help but connect these dots while researching this topic these past few weeks. Both cases have countless missteps from the organizations that were trusted with investigating them. Both cases, I believe, could have been solved sooner if not for misdirections in the investigation as well as failing to follow up on significant and crucial leads. I simply cannot ignore the Maxwell and Podesta sketches early on in the investigation. I mean, 
Something about that is eerie, and why hadn't this ever been followed up on properly? The Madeleine McCann case is a deep rabbit hole filled with information as well as misinformation that you have to sort through to truly understand. In my heart of hearts, I do believe the McCanns know more than they are leading on. Their general behavior is appropriate in terms of being sad in front of the cameras, but through listening to their interviews in depth, I couldn't help but feel like they were hiding something from me. In the next few months, we should expect to hear more evidence about Christian Bruckner. Once more information comes to light, we will be able to make an informed decision, but it is extremely odd nonetheless that almost 20 years later, all the dots connect to him. I mean, think about it. If he was working at the Ocean View, he would have had to be somebody the police investigated. At that point, he already had a background of sexual assault. So how is it that it took almost 20 years for them to catch on that he supposedly was involved? Is it a possibility that he's just a patsy? What if the Podesta and Maxwell theories circulating was becoming a threat to the UK's general power structure? Is it possible they would frame someone to hide this dark secret? These are just questions that go through my brain when I see all the information in this case that has been generally withheld from the public. As always, thank you guys so much for listening and giving feedback and letting me know what theories to investigate next. Until next time on the Between the Lies podcast. Thank you guys.